0: this difficult day, it's perhaps well to ask what kind of a nation we are and what direction we want to move in. What we need in the United States is not division, what we need in the United States is not hatred, what we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another, but more importantly to say a prayer for our own country which all of us love, you can be filled with bitterness and with hatred and greater polarization or we can make an effort, as Martin Luther King did, to understand compassion and love. What's up Rock family? What's up Rock family? How are you doing, Rock family? Welcome to church today. We are so excited about what God is going to do today, not only in our church family but in our hearts. Because uh, our hearts need it. I was um, praying today about... I'm Miles McPherson, by the way. <laughs> Thanks for coming to church. And if you are just tuning in, please hit the share button uh, and get this message out to as many people as you can. Um, I was praying today. What would be the first thing I would say in my message? And I, I just want to give a, kind of a warning and a prayer request. Um, my prayer request is that I want to be loyal to my Father in Heaven and what I say. I want to have loyalty to God above our country. I want to have loyalty to God above. All politics. I want to have loyalty to God above everybody I know, black people, white people, Hispanic people, so I can speak very honestly from my heart because my heart is broken. I love my black people, I love my white people, I love my Asian people, I love my Pacific Islanders and my Latinos um, in my church in this country. But I, I ask for prayer today that I can be honest and loyal to God in what I say to you. Because this is not a black thing, a white thing, an Hispanic thing, a United States thing, a police thing. This is a God thing. We are in a spiritual battle. And my prayer is that I can be honest and that you would receive what God says to us. That he would lift all of us up to a whole nother level Of unity and love for one another. And so I'm gonna ask everybody where you're at, and by the way, please hit the share button. We gotta get this message out, but I'm gonna ask everybody where you're at. If you can get on your knees with me, because we have to pray that God, the God of heaven, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead for us, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will come on our country and unite our hearts and heal our land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and pray, he will hear from heaven and heal our land and forgive our sin. We need to turn from our wicked ways. So wherever you're at, if you haven't got on your knees, please get on your knees wherever you're at. I can't imagine the pain of all the people around the country right now. But where we need to be is on our knees. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience. Lord, we as a country have sinned. There's been abuse of power, pride, bigotry, racism. But at the end of the day, it is about our sin that we have turned away from you. We have disregarded the value of human life. We have disregarded the image of God in every single person. And so we come to you and say sorry. I come to you as a pastor, Lord, and say sorry. I pray you fill my heart with more love for all the people that are in my life. More than I've ever had. More patience, more compassion. And that the uniqueness of people that you have created... I would honor even more, serve even more, be patient like I've never been patient, and I pray for everyone listening. No matter where you're at with your black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Filipino, uh, Pacific Islander, no matter where you are from, how much money you have or don't have, that the spirit of God right now would fill your heart with love for God and for people. No law can make us love God. No law can draw out of us the love of God. Only the spirit of God. So I pray today, Pentecost weekend, that the spirit of God will fall in the United States of America. And that we would stop acting and claiming to be a Christian nation. When we are acting like everything but. Lord, start with me. Start with our church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give somebody a hug if you're next to somebody at your house or wherever you are. Give somebody a hug. Get your Bible out. If you have your Bible, uh, you can just turn to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Two years ago, a year and a half ago, I wrote a book called The Third Option. I am going to be speaking from this book. You can get it on Amazon. I'm not going to do a big commercial, but this book has everything I'm going to say today pretty much in it and then a bunch more. Um, when I was eight years old, um, Martin Luther King was killed. And I remember thinking, feel, I remember what I felt, I remember what I thought. What I felt was how could they do that? Similar to what we're feeling now. It was so wrong. But I also remember what I thought. I thought, what do we do now? When I wrote that book, I was wrote that book for the purpose of giving us solutions and answers of what we can do now. Here we are 2 years after I wrote the book and we're in a worse situation than we were 2 years ago. So today I want to talk about how we got divided at a very basic level, but more so ideas on how we can come together. My prayer is that you would receive for you, as I said in the beginning, that you would let the Holy Spirit speak to you about your life. I know you can watch TV and hear the news and always want to point fingers at that person and that person. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to you specifically about your life. A little background, I was, um, uh, I grew up in New York. I have a white grandmother, had a white grandmother, she's passed. She married a black man from Jamaica. When she was in Jamaica, her parents sent her from Jamaica West Indies to Jamaica Queens so she wouldn't marry a black Jamaican. If you've ever been to Jamaican Queens, there's a whole bunch of black Jamaicans. She meets this black guy, my grandfather, they start dating. My grandfather couldn't go in the front door of a house. He had to go around the back door. They ended up getting married. When they got married, her family disowned her. I never knew her family. To this day, I don't know anybody from her family. They live 15, 20 minutes away. We never heard of them, Talked, spoke about them. Until I was an adult, I just we just figured there, you know all of us brown people, and then there was Grandma Dorothy. We didn't know where the white lady came from, but she was our grandma, and that was it. It was, it was, it was just the way it was. But that was my grand one grandmother. I have another grandmother who is half Chinese and half black. Mr. Wong, Wong Kim Fong, is his name, but they called him Charlie. I don't know where they got Charlie from, but Wong Kim Fong came to Jamaica, West Indies, and started messing around with the women there, and had my grandmother. My grandmother married a, a, a man there. Uh, my, my grandpa, who was the only grandpa I knew, he was also black. I grew up in a black neighborhood, was raised by the United Nations. I went to school in a white neighborhood for eight years. When I grew up, it was just after Jim Crow laws ended, uh, which for all of you who might not know, Jim Crow is when it's uh, equal but separate. Whites went to one uh, bathroom, <laughs> blacks went to another. Whites drunk out of one water f- fountain, blacks. Drank out of another. Blacks sat in the back of the bus. Whites sat in the front of the bus. Blacks got on the bus in the back door. Whites got on the bus at the front door. Jim Crow laws was all separated. Rosa Parks broke that. Sat in the front of the bus and said, "I'm not getting up." That's what started the civil rights movement. I was born right after that ended. So where I grew up was all black, pretty much, and when I went to school it was 100% white. And every day I crossed over the street called Ocean Avenue and went into that white neighborhood, I had anxiety. For eight years, first grade to eighth grade. That was my world separate. But yet we played on football team. We had people that got along. and I started wondering even as a young age, how can we get along? How can we do this? And I want to propose to you that the devil has created, done a great job of dividing our country, us versus them. Wherever you are at, I want you to say out loud, us. Say us and say them. The devil has done a great job of dividing our country, us versus them the third option which is what this is about right here the third option is that we honor what we have in common in other words you can have, think about us versus them where it's those people and my people but the third option is that we say no that we have more in common than our differences there are, we have more things in common than our differences so i want to talk about how we can focus and bring unity by focusing on what we have in common versus focusing on what we have different. Now, I'm going to put up three pictures here today because I want to give you some history of what's going on. And, I, and the only reason I do this is because I had someone the other day say they, they still don't understand what's going on, which I don't know how that could be possible. Ahmaud Aubrey, in February was jogging down the street. And two white men, a father and a son were in a car, pickup truck. And another white man in the car with a camera, they hunted him down and shot him. For 72 days, they did nothing with that video. The police had it, but they did nothing with that video. And the only reason protesters, because of protesters, the police put it out, and three men were arrested eventually. Breonna Taylor was in the bed. They came in her house, police came in her house and shot her. They had the wrong address and shot her. She's an EMT. And we all know George Floyd. When George Floyd was killed, I, again, I processed. What I was feeling, yes, we are all feeling angry, but what I was feeling was a sense of powerlessness. And then it hit me for the first time in 60 years that all my life I have felt this sense of powerlessness to a white culture. Now let me say this. This is not about black versus white. This is about sin. Racism is all over the world. And if you go to other countries, it's black on black. You to other countries, is. Korean, North Korean, South Korean, it's all kind of cultures. But my experience was I felt this sense of powerlessness when I saw him kneeling on his neck that it was a statement that we are powerless, powerful over you. There was a dehumanization, dehumanizing of George and a whole culture of people, which is why there's so much outrage. I am so hurt at how the devil has Put us against each other. And my prayer is that I talk as I talk about the third option, that God would give you a vision on what you can do, what you can do to make a difference. Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, we're gonna see Joshua spell out the third option and help us understand how we can walk in it. It says in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And he said, Are you for us or our adversaries? This is so important. When you think of an us versus them culture, us is all the people who are like me. We're we'll going to get to that in a minute. And the them is all the people who are not like me. Us is all the people who don't look like me or who don't identify with me or who don't have what I have. All the people I think are not on my side and then them is everybody else. And in our culture, it's either black against white. That's the devil, division. In our culture, it's either for or against the police. Against the devil, again, it's the devil. Everybody on the police are bad or everybody on the police is good. In our culture, it's American versus immigrant. We got all this division and that is a spiritual battle. And even though people can hurt you and people can oppress you, it doesn't mean that all of them are one thing or all of you are another thing. So here's Joshua, he's getting ready to lead the Israelites into the promised land, exactly the land that God promised them. And this commander, this guy, this angel, actually it's Jesus, is standing with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua comes up to him and says, are you for us or them? In other words, or adversaries. Look at this. Adversaries. In other words, if you're not on my side, you are my adversary. This is exactly what we're seeing in culture right now. If you're not on my side, in my mind, and part of my group, you're my enemy. And this is where we got to get away from. Because when we start labeling all those people as one thing, we consider them their enemies, we start drawing lines in the sand. And so he says to the commander, are you for us, all us Israelites, or our adversaries? And the commander of the Lord, says, the commander of the Lord's army says, No. Now, think about it, that's not, a, that's, not a, that's not an answer. In other words, do you want ice cream or, 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 or cake? And you say no. Well, it's got to be one or the other. Those are the two options you have. And the commander of the Lord's army says no. There's a third option. What we're seeing today is we're seeing a lot of people who are angry and I get it. There are a lot of people protesting you're angry. A lot of people who are not protesting, who are angry. A lot of people who are not protesting who are broken-hearted. A lot of people protesting that, are, that who are not protesting that are crushed, scared, tired of the system. System is broken. It's unfair. What happened to George, Ahmad, Brianna, and on and on and on is wrong, unfair. The system has to change. But we get this, this us versus them mentality where all of them are bad. All of them are not bad. So the commander of the Lord's army says, "There's a third option." Look what he says. Says, "But no." But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said, "Now, what does my Lord say to his servant?" If you if you go to if you go to I'm in the United States. If you go to Britain. If I go to UK and I went to the the uh, embassy in the UK. I'm walking down the street in the U.K., I'm in the U.K., I'm in London. But as soon as I step on the property of the U.S. embassy, I am now in the United States of America. And the laws of the United States of America apply to me when I'm on that dirt. But as soon as I step out of the embassy, I'm now back in the U.K. And the laws of of London apply to me. What he said to to Joshua, he said, Joshua, I am the commander of the Lord's army. I am Jesus. I'm God. This whole promised land thing, is my idea, not your idea. And so when you say, am I on your side or their side? I'm on neither one of your sides. I'm on my side. And this is what I was telling you in the very beginning. That I, I want to be on God's side. And God is about justice. But God is about justice, God's way. We definitely need justice in this case. In all these cases, no question. But we have to do it God's way. And so with Joshua, with the commander of the Lord's army, says Joshua, this is all about me. This is not about you. This is not about doing it your way. This is about doing it my way. And trust me, God wants justice more than any of us. God brings about a better form of justice more than anybody. God brings about a better form of righteousness, fairness, uh, equality than more than anybody. That's why we have to do it his way. So when he told Joshua, Joshua, you are now on holy ground, you have to do it my way. You have to do it my way. I'm here to tell you, church, we have to do it God's way. Politics ain't going to fix it, even though the laws need to be changed. Only God can change people's hearts. And it has to start with you. You have to ask yourself, how far are you willing to go to be like Jesus? Can you pray for the protesters right now? Can you say, Lord, I love them and I want them to be close to you. I don't love what they do, but I love them. Can you pray for, can you say the words black lives matter? Not the organization, just the fact that George matters. And everybody who looks like George matters. Just as much as you. Can you say white lives matter? Of course, that's, that's the, the theme of the day. I mean, that's what culture says. We get that. Can you say that black lives matter? For real. The same as white lives. Can you say justice for everyone is the right thing and the only thing to do? And so as we're on the the, the embassy ground, as we're on holy ground, we say, Lord, we want to do this your way. Let me give you a little sociology. Sociologists refer to how we divide ourselves by groups. It says in-group, out-group. The way we sort people that are either like us or not like us. In other words, all guys are a group. That's one group. All ladies are a group. Whites are a group. Blacks are a group. Rich are a group. Republicans are a group. And Democrats are a group. We go on, 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 on. And you may say all protesters are a group to a degree. Once we identify our group, we give in group bias. In group bias is our tendency to give preferential treatment to people who are like me. And when you when you have people in your group, you walk into a room. If I walk into a room and there's football players over there and baseball players over there, I'm going to be more inclined to go to football players and give preferential treatment to those people. And that's what we see in our country. We go to people who we are like and we give favoritism to people who we are like. And we give preferential treatment to people who we are like. That's just how racism works. It's our sin nature. It's all about me. Because people who are like me are better than people who are not like me. And when we get asked to bless and be encouragement to someone else, we feel like we're we're violating something. Now, I want to give you nine characteristics of in-group bias. Because this is what racism feels like, looks like, and what it does. In-group bias, nine things. I am more comfortable with those who are like me. I am more inclined to spend time socially with those who are like me. I am more patient with those who are like me. I give the benefit of the doubt quicker to those who are like me. I express more grace when mistakes are made by those who are like me. It is easier to communicate with those who are like me. I assume that I will get along easier with those who are like me. That means when you walk into a room or you walk on the street and you see someone who like me, you assume I'm going to get along with them so you treat them better. I am more willing to go out of my way to help those who are like me. I possess more positive assumptions than those who are like me. So therefore, when someone's like me, I got all these positive things I'm thinking, all these assumptions I'm making about those people. That's in group bias. That's what we see every single day that people express to people who are like them. The opposite is true, that when you see people who are not like you, you do the opposite. You do the opposite. Now, here's the thing. When you identify the people who are like you and you form that group, you have this pressure that you have to act according to the rules of the group. And if you act inconsistent with the rules of the group, you're a sellout. So if you don't toe the party line, as they say, and say what all the people in your group say, do what all the people in your group say, then they take your group card. <laughs> they take your black card, your white card, whatever you, whatever card you got, they take it. What we're seeing now in the country is all these groups are being challenged. I was... Uh, One of the things that hit me, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, was when I saw George killed. For the first time in my life, I realized that the racism I had experienced had put a cloud of powerlessness over my life. I felt powerless to the white culture. I felt like white people can do whatever they want to me. That was my experience. It's from what I experienced. It's from what I saw. Doesn't mean all white people are bad. This was my experience. And when I saw that, it triggered. And I want to say something to all my white brothers and sisters. You have power. The white culture has more power than black culture. Which is why those things can happen. And racism will be eliminated when we work together, but we need your voice. We need your voice. We can't just have people of color screaming that this is wrong and speaking out. And I want to speak to my church. I need your voice. Because there are people in your family right now who are hurting. Well, you're, I, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, I know you're hurting, but we've been hurting. And I want to encourage you to make your voice known, make a video with your face and your voice, saying you denounce this violence, saying that you want equal justice for everyone. Say that you believe that a black life is just as valuable as a white life. Say it. because I can tell you for years we have heard silence, nothing. nothing from a lot of people. Trust me. I know a lot of white people do a great things. Don't get me wrong. But as I said in the very beginning, you have to deal with whatever God speaks to you as an individual. And we want to help you, give you a voice. We do want to help you give you a voice. But we need your voice because the group that we're all in says here are the things you should and should not say. God says, I want you in my group. I want you standing up for righteousness even if it risks some criticism. So this is your in group. Now here's your out group. I am less comfortable with those who are not like me. I am less inclined to spend time socially with those who are not like me. I'm going to avoid you. I am less patient with those who are not like me. I give the benefit of the doubt less to those who are not like me. You give the benefit of the doubt. I express less grace when mistakes are made by those who are not like me. It is more difficult to communicate with those who are not like me. I don't assume. Listen, this is an assumption. I don't assume I will get along with those who are not like me. Think about this mentality. If my group looks like this and I assume I'm not going to get along with you and I'm going to avoid you, guess what happens? There's a division. That's the us versus them. And it comes from ignorance, it comes from sin, it comes from arrogance, it comes from lack of information, lack of relationship, whatever it is. But this is what happens. I don't assume I will get along. I am less willing to go out of my way to help those who are not like me. I possess less positive assumptions about those who are not like me. In other words, when I see you because you're not in my group, I don't understand you. I assume something different than when I am with people who are like me. I assume. So before we get into solutions, I just want you to understand whatever your world is, because we all have world, we all have a circle of friends, we all have a self-identification, how we identify, what we believe about people, that you would step out of that mentality and say, Lord, I want to stand on holy ground and I want you to speak to me about how I can love beyond my group. How I can put myself out there to understand what people in another group is. That when I see people protesting that Lord, yes, I may not agree with, not may, I don't agree with, and you as well, don't agree with the looting and all kinds of stuff, but what's going on? Those are people made in your image too. Help me understand. Instead of saying those people and me. So I'm going to give you five things you can do. Number one, acknowledge that you have blind spots. Acknowledge that you have a blind spot. A blind spot is not knowing what you don't know. Um, I grew up left-handed. By the way, if you're in your house right now, just raise your hand if you're, left, if you're left-handed. Raise your hand. okay? God, I can't see you but God bless you. If you're, in, if you're right-handed, raise your hand. Whenever I do this in public, 90% of the room is right-handed. And I tell them that the world was made by right-handed people. Four right-handed people. For example, if you're right-handed, if you're in school, your desk was right here on your right hand. You put, you can write, put your elbow and write. You didn't even have to look at your paper, and you can turn over here and talk, talk to the girl next to you while you're writing because your elbow is braced. I'm left-handed, so I'm out here in space. So hold up, girl, and I can't talk to her because I gotta. I'm drawing my name, but you had the advantage because you were right-handed because the desk was made for you. If you're right-handed, you can go to any golf shop and get any golf club you want, driver, anyone you want because the world was made for you. If you're right-handed, you can get a catcher's mitt, drive to the store, get a catcher's mitt, come back, replaying catch with your son, your daughter, while me, I'm left-handed, driving all around town, can't find a catcher's mitt. And you say, why can't you find a catcher's mitt? What's wrong? I got mine, and you think I'm making it up. The blind spot, is that's called... Right privilege. It's called having an advantage and more advantages than you even know. Right privilege. The person who's saying I can't get a job, he's not lying. He's not making it up. The person who says I didn't do that, that crime. He's not lying. I didn't make it up. There was, there was a, an incident just the other day where a lady in, in Manhattan called up and said some African American man was coming after her. She had a dog off the leash. If you didn't see the video, he told her, asked her to take the dog off the leash or put the dog on the leash. It was an area where you're supposed to have your dog on the leash, and she just called up. Police said, African American man is harassing me. He's blah, 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 blah. Please send the police. All she had to do was say he was black. And that was it. That was enough. And he was, police come. Oh, black man. Come to find out, that guy, Harvard degree, very educated, very Professional, very compassionate guy actually called people to leave her alone because she got death threats after this. Uh, she lost her job. I was talking to somebody. And this person said, "You know, if I didn't see that video, I would have believed her just like that. It's a blind spot. You don't realize how much we have just bought into a mentality. And people, there's certain people who have experiences that we've been saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, and it's just been ignored. Acknowledge that you have a blind spot. Social narrative is a story that shapes how you see the world. And all of us have grown up hearing certain information, seeing certain stories. And as we've grown up, we've come to shape how we see the world. And all the stories that we've learned from our family, from our friends, from our neighborhood, from our school, have formed a prescription through which we interpret the news, interpret what we hear, and it's created blind spots. And if you're on this side of the tracks and you hear these stories, when you hear someone complain, this is what you believe. And if you're on this side of the tracks and you hear a story and you and and and, and you hear the story and you interpret it from your perspective, you come to this conclusion. That means you have a blind spot. Acknowledge that you don't know the whole story. Matter of fact, anybody in your out group, you by definition do not know. So whenever you hear something about somebody else, acknowledge that maybe I don't know the whole story. And instead of judging the person, instead of judging the situation, say, Lord, I need to understand better because I probably don't know the whole story. Acknowledge that you have a blind spot. Become a learner. Before you decide what you're going to do about all this, decide what you're going to be. And what you're going to be is a humble learner. It's easy to watch TV and make judgments. But be a humble learner. Learn really what this pain is all about. Number two. Number two. Rename those people as your brother, sister, or your neighbor. The greatest commandment in the Bible is Matthew 22. This is all. This is awesome. Rename. Look what it says. Matthew 22:37. It says, "Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law?" What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, and with all your mind." This is the first. First. First and great commandment. As a believer, by the way, if you don't believe in God, none of this, you know, as a believer, this is our number one commandment. This is, this is the commandment that's going to change the world that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, which basically means you do what he says. And so, all of us, as I said in the very beginning of this message, the number one thing we can do is obey God, do what he says from the heart. Number one, and if you don't do that, everything else is void. So we can come to church, praise God, and do all this—you know, uh, preach the gospel, and all that kind of stuff. But if we're not loving God, and which means obeying God, which means doing what God says, God's way, then everything else is, is disqualified. But then He says, "The second is like it: you shall love your neighbor as yourself." In other words, first you got to love God. Number one. By the way, this commandment is superior to all the other commandments. Do that number one, and number two. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. The story of the Good Samaritan says, who's your neighbor? Everybody. Your outgroup is your neighbor. So why is there so much division in the church? Why is there so much drama in the church? Why is there so much hypocrisy in the church? Why? Because we change this commandment. See this word right here, neighbor? We decide when someone's not my neighbor, (laughs) when someone's not my neighbor, I don't need to love them. So we give them another another name. We give them the (laughs) N-word, Someone's the N-word, which I've been called more times than I can tell you, I'm not your neighbor. I'm this. I'm powerless. I'm less than. A white this, a black this. When I was a kid, we used to watch uh, Cowboys and Indians. I always wanted to learn about the Indians. But they told us on TV that they were savages. They weren't neighbors. They were savages. They weren't people. They were savages. They weren't the same as me and you. Well, (laughs) me or the the white culture. It was just a pecking order. And so when we, when we dehumanize people with labels, the immigrant this, the immigrant that. When we dehumanize labels, with labels, we give ourselves permission not to love people. So let me ask you a question. What is the label you put on the police? What's the label you put on the protesters? What's the label you put on... What's the label you put on? What's the label you put on? Check one, two. Check one, two. Huh? One, two, three, four, five. What's the label you put on the people who are protesting? What's the label you put on the looters? When you put a label on someone less than neighbor, yes, people hurt us, yes, people are offensive, yes, people do the wrong thing, but here's what Jesus says, number one thing, they got to be your neighbor, they got to be your neighbor, and once you elevate them to neighbor, and it is hard, it is painful, it takes you to deny yourself, to say, Lord, it's not about me, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, it takes you to, to, to say no to all your anger, your frustration and submit it to the Lord and put it at the foot of the cross. Once you can do that, then you can love. So but first by putting that label back on everybody you know that they are truly your neighbor. Number three, acknowledge your brother and sister's color. I remember the first time someone told me they didn't see my color. I thought they had eye stigmatism. And... I was like, man, that's jacked up. You don't see red, blue, green, yellow. They said, no, 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 I just don't see your color. And I was like, well, if you don't see color, how do you know I have a color that you don't see, that you shouldn't see? Our brain can process like 100 million bits of information per, per second, and 90% of our brain information comes through our eyes. Our eyes process depth, shape, motion, texture, and our eyes process color. You can't not see color. Even if you close your eyes, you see black. <laughs> so your eyes will always see color. I remember this girl, she, she went for a, a tan. She went to Hawaii and got a tan. She was trying to get this guy to uh, date her. And she goes to Hawaii and she lays out in the sun seven days, for seven days straight and gets a tan. She comes back, she got a little uh, spaghetti strap on. She's throwing her, her, her tan, boop, 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 boop at, the, at this guy. And all of a sudden... She's complaining to me, like I got something to do with it, why he won't talk to her, because she got all brown. And she was saying, my tan is so this, I look so brown, I look so bronze, blah, 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 blah. I said, it's amazing how people celebrate a tan to get in Hawaii. But when they get a tan in the womb, they invalidate it, like it makes you less. Please do not say you don't see color, because you do. And the only time you say you don't see color is when you see it. Here's what you need to do, you need to see it and celebrate it. As beautiful, no matter what the color is. And don't let the color tell you what the character of the person is inside the color because you don't know. Remember, that's your out group. And even if you are two black people talking to each other, or you're having a conversation about color. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to make sure that you are never say you don't see color. Now, it's one thing to say, I'm not going to treat you like you are less than because of your color. That's different than saying you see it. But when you say you don't see it, you are this. You ignore the burden that comes with the color. And you're saying to the person, you're like me, when often that is not the case. The great theologian and philosopher, Fred G. Sanford. If you don't know who Sanford is, he's uh, Sanford's son. He's on Sanford's son. He was in the show and he got robbed. And the police came and said, Fred G. Is the, uh, was the perpetrator, colored. And he said, yeah, he was colored white. In our culture, is the us versus them culture, you have white people and people of color. That's what the culture says. God says all of y'all are colored. You're just different shades of brown. We have to learn to see from God's perspective who we all are and how he made us more similar different. We all have muscles, bones, heart, liver, kidney. We all love sleep. We all love our pillow. We all love our food. We want to have a great family. On and on and on and on. And most importantly, we all bleed red and we're all made in the image of God and God says I'm going to make all these different shades and all these different hair textures and all these different eye shapes and all these different accents for my glory and who are we to say that's less than that one that's more important than that one when the image of God is same in every single person it's not less than one person from another and that we honor everybody as being made in the image of God for the purpose and glory of God number 4 view every conversation as a race conversation because you see color every time you talk to someone, you are having a race conversation. It doesn't mean that you're having a racist conversation, but if two white people are talking, you know that person's white and you talk to them accordingly. If two black people are talking, you know that the person's black or if a Hispanic person and an Asian person are talking, they know they know what they see, they know what they hear it's one thing to say, "I acknowledge." where you come from or where I think you come from, it's another to acknowledge what you think and what you're thinking. It's a whole other thing to assume that what you think is fact. Then, In other words, if you see someone that is a certain shade, that you assume that they're arrogant or you assume that they're dumb or you assume that they're privileged or you assume that they're whatever. That's where the problem comes in. I was at a golf course walking to my car or my clubs. And this kid rides up in the cart. He worked there. He had his shorts on, his little college shirt, white kid, 25 years old, built, combed hair, clean cut looking dude. He said, you want to ride? I said, yeah. I got in the cart. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Iowa. I want you to imagine. White kid, 25, nice built, hair groomed up. From Iowa. So in my mind, I'm thinking, his white kid, good looking kid, in shape, from Iowa, thinking maybe he's an athlete, What's he doing out here? I had all this stuff going through my head because I was having a race conversation. Those things weren't bad. They were even questions. They were inquisitive. I was curious. And I was taking in the data that was in front of me to try to come up with conclusions based on my social narrative from the past. So I'm thinking all this in my head, and then I say, What is your name? And he says, My name is DeAndre. (laughs) Check it out. He said it just like that. DeAndre. Now, that messed up my whole, my whole thing. Why? Because I was having a race conversation. I was having a race conversation. I was like, the guy from Iowa, that's a fact. He's white. That's a fact. He's in shape. Maybe he's an athlete. Maybe he you know, plays golf, whatever. And his name is DeAndre. I've never heard a person from Iowa, white kid, named DeAndre. So I kind of threw me off. Every time you talk to somebody, let them self-disclose to you who they are. You can have your assumptions, but put your assumptions over here and say, let them self-disclose to you who they are. James, the Bible says in James, it says, my beloved, let everyone be swift to hear. Listen. Slow to speak and make judgment and slow to anger. When you meet people, give them opportunity. Don't assume because of what they look like, what they do, that they are one thing. If you have those thoughts in your head, it happens subconsciously so quick. You can't stop it. Put it over here. That's fine. Put it over here. And then say, Lord, let me do an investigation. Next one. And this is the last step, most important step. Give your heart to those who are not like you. The Bible says in John 15, 13. Give your heart to those who are not like you. Greater love has this than one would lay down his life for his friends. This... State of emergency, we're in. The tendency is to, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to defend my group. I'm going to defend my honor. Jesus says the opposite. Greater love is this, that you lay your life down for your friends. What does that mean? Lord, how can I love better? How can I understand better? How can I walk more in obedience? That's what Jesus did for me. How can I do those things? There was a baseball player named Rod Carew. Rod Carew was 18-time All-Star, 328 batting average, MVP, rookie of the year, Mr. Everything. When he was 71 years old or so, he had a heart condition and a kidney condition. Needed a heart transplant. Kidney transplant. At the same time, there was a white football player in NFL, Conrad Rulin. And he was 27, I believe. He had a brain aneurysm, went into a coma. He died. His heart and kidney were tra- were transplanted, in, donated and transplanted into Rod Carew. When Conrad was 11 years old, he met Rod Carew and came home and told mom, I met my hero today, Rod Carew, because they live in the same area. And he said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a pro athlete. Well, he did. He grew up to be a football player. But his heart and kidney went into this... Black Panamanian, Rod Cruz, Panamanian, brown, Black Panamanian, into his body. His mom somehow found it out. I don't know how he did, how that happened. But his mom called up Rod Cruz and said, I think you have my son's heart and kidney. And Rod Cruz said, Will you, do you want to come over and hear your son's heart beating in my chest? They're friends. The only way we're going to solve our problem in our country, my, my friends, is if we put our heart into it. If we start playing politics, trying to protect our territory, protect our in-group, protect our own self interest we'll back to be back to where we started. As a matter of fact, we won't leave where we're at. It doesn't work that way. It only works when we give our life and lay our life down for our friends. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come down and say, "Do this, do this, do this, do." Jesus came down and laid his life down for us and said, "If you want the kingdom of God, it's here." If you want forgiveness, it's here. If you want a new heart, it's here. If you want a new life, it's here. If you want clarity about your life and clarity about your purpose and power to execute it, it's here. And if you don't, you don't. But I've come, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what we see in the community. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. That's what God offers us. In a minute we're going to pray. And my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, I should say, is that you would choose Jesus? Many of you who are watching, you've asked Christ to be your Savior, but you're still in your corner. You're still with your in group, saying, This is who I am, here's what we believe, and those people are over there. And God says, Enough of that. The wall has to come down. And it comes down when you say, Lord, I am going to love others like I love myself. I'm gonna allow you to love me, and I'm gonna love you more faithfully, and I am going to allow your love to flow through my life like never before. So, for some of you, and when we pray, for some of you, you're going to, I hope and pray that you give your heart to Jesus. But then there are some of you, the majority of you, it's time for you to do something. It's time for you to voice your desire for justice. It's time for you to voice against injustice. It's time for you to speak out for those who can't speak out for themselves. That has to be now. It's not time for us to hide and say, "I hope this goes away and I can go back to the way my life." That, it's not time for that. Life the way it was, I don't know. Between Corona and this, I don't know. God is shaking stuff up, and He's. Like, I want my people to step up. I want the gospel to step up. I want prayer to step up. I want the Holy Spirit to pour Him. His, I want to pour the Holy Spirit out on the United States of America. We live in San Diego. Wherever you are, so God can do His thing. We can't wait for. The government and politics. Now, laws have to happen. Don't get me wrong. Reform has to happen. Don't get me wrong. But the heart has to change. And if our heart doesn't change, we're just going to make laws with loopholes. Third option. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about him. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about him. It's not about us or them. It's about him. And it has to start in the church. So I'm going to challenge all of you right now, wherever you're at, to bow your heads and close your eyes. As you listen to me and hear my voice, I want to challenge you. In what your heart is towards those who don't look like you, what is your heart towards those who don't like you? Are you willing now to surrender your life to Jesus and be part of the solution, not the problem? So I'm going to pray a prayer. And part of it, is some of you are going to say, Lord, I want to be part of the solution. And then some for this prayer for some of you, you're going to ask Christ to be your Savior. It is a prayer of surrendering, saying, Lord, I want to do it your way. So in the privacy of your heart, pray, dear God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that my sin is wrong. I believe the penalty is death. Jesus, please forgive me. Come live in my heart and be my Savior. I want to love like you. I want to walk with you. I want to honor you with my life. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer... I want to encourage you to text SAVE to 52525. We want to help you in your relationship. My friends, our country needs the spirit of God in people expressing Himself through people. It has to start with us. My encouragement to you is to say, Lord, I'm no longer on San Diego territory. I am now on holy ground. I stand before the king. I'm going to walk with the king. And I'm going to honor the king. May the Lord bless our city. May the Lord bless our country. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.